Welcome back to the History of the Barbarians podcast, episode 23, Invading Italy, part 1. Last time we looked at the birth of the Visigoths and the rebellion of 395 to 397 CE, and the settlement of the Goths in Illyricum. This week we will look at the next rebellion of the Goths in 401, which will lead to the first Gothic invasion of Italy. As we reviewed the rebellion of the Visigoths in 395 and their sacking of cities throughout Greece in the last episode, they eventually found a peaceful resolution to their rebellion. The Goths and other parts of the Eastern Empire began to get rebellious in them as well. Tribigild and his Gruthungi rebellion in central Anatolia, along with Gainus's Turingi, who joined Tribigild, only fed the fires for more anti-Goth sentiment in Constantinople and all of the Eastern Roman Empire. The anti-Gothic settlement led to violence in the empire against Goths, including the rebellions against Gainus's rule in Constantinople, which led to the deaths of many of his men and his own eventual downfall. The continual violence between the Romans and the Goths will create a backdrop for our story that will be integral for years to come in our narrative. If you remember back in the wake of Fritigern's rebellion in Moesia, way back in 376, we see the execution of many children of Goths and adults that were living in Roman cities as hostages, securing their treaty, or working as mercenaries. We've seen anti-Gothic riots or executions in Thessalonica in 390, and the riots that brought about the downfall of Gainus in 400 in Constantinople. It is in this climate that a new anti-Gothic policy is adopted by the Eastern Empire. The new chief advisor to the emperor, Arcadius, after the execution of Eutropius in 399, becomes a man named Caesarius. Caesarius, who would be the Praetorian prefect, interestingly appointed to the position by Gainus in 400, and keeps his post after the fall of the Gothic general until his death in 403. A new anti-Gothic appeasement policy would be discussed in the Eastern Court for several years, even finding references to it in 399, but it is the events involving Tribigild and Gainus that would lead to Alaric's loss of his military title and the eventual rebellion in the fall of 401. To add to this situation, it may have been the case that in the wake of Gainus's execution, that the Huns under Olden became federati for Constantinople and could therefore be a threat to the position of the Visigoths within the Roman Empire. It is unclear whether the Eastern Empire's government pushed Alaric out of the agreement or if Alaric and his people decided that, based on the new anti-Gothic policy adopted in Constantinople, that the current situation was untenable. So Alaric and the Visigoths looked to make a new position for themselves, but this time in Italy and the Western Empire. They offer their services to Stilicho in the west, in return for land and position within the Roman army for Alaric and his soldiers. Stilicho, for his part, probably would have accepted the Visigoths as federati for the west if it weren't for several key factors. First, the Senate was dead set against having large numbers of barbarians, and in particular, these barbarians, under Roman employ. The Senate in Italy wanted the Roman army to be Roman, which we have discussed many times already in our podcast, that this was increasingly difficult to achieve for the east and the western portions of the empire. Secondly, Stilicho did not have a location for the Goths to be settled. Decades prior, a portion of the Franks had been settled along the Roman side of the Rhine River in order to secure this turbulent border. 
This enabled the Romans to recall troops from the border to be used in other areas, and the Franks had kept to their agreement, for the most part, throughout this time period. Stilicho did not have a region like this that could be utilized in the same way. Other areas of Gaul, Spain, or Italy were already well-developed and rich, which would have given the Goths too much power, or they did not have the turbulence that would justify their settlement. Stilicho could not just put the Goths somewhere that didn't have a purpose because he could not control the troubled border regions and also keep the Goths in check if they grew too audacious. Therefore, the Western Empire would turn down Alaric services. Given the presence of Fervada and the Eastern Empire's army a couple weeks march from Illyricum and cutting off any access the Visigoths would have to Constantinople, Alaric is not left with many choices. Adding to the situation is the fact that a group of Vandals and Alans had in the fall of 401 invaded Retia in northern Italy and modern-day Switzerland, forcing Stilicho to remove his forces in Italy and the Julian Alps in modern-day Slovenia and eastern Italy, which this area had served as the gateway to invading armies for centuries into Italy. Stilicho would defeat these invaders quickly and incorporate many into the army as soldiers, but would be preoccupied in Raetia and in neighboring Noricum for several months going into the year 402. So, so Alaric and the Visigoths knew that Italy would be ripe for the picking, and they would use war as an extension of diplomacy and invade the peninsula in 401, as Stilicho was occupied by the Vandal and Alan invasion. He marches his people through Pannonia, the lands of the Gruthungi, that had rebelled with them and won the Battle of Adrianople back in 378. Now, almost a generation later, Alaric has come to recruit them back into the rebellion fold. The Gruthungi joined their cousins once again, and the makeup of the Visigoths ethnically continues to diversify. They certainly had a core Tervingi ethnic group at the power center, but they are increasingly being swallowed by other Goths and slaves of different barbarian peoples, and Roman people. This trend begins early in the Visigothic story, and will continue throughout. Alaric and his forces followed the Sava River, probably going near the location of the Battle of the Frigidus, that had been one of the sparks of the rebellion of the Goths in 395. On November 18th, the Visigoths entered Italy through the Julian Alps, having faced little resistance to their movements. Remember, Stilicho had removed most of these troops to fight the invading Vandals and Alans in Raetia. The whole of Italy, and for that matter, the West, was completely unprepared and shocked by Alaric's invasion. Yes, Stilicho had turned down their services, but as far as he was concerned, they were still safely in Illyricum in the Eastern Empire and possibly working for Constantinople. The panic in Italy would be the highest in centuries. The Roman army was trapped with Stilicho in the north by the winter snows, and no significant force could be organized to face these new invaders. Stilicho, through messengers, sent an edict trying to entice slaves to fight for the Roman army in an effort for them to win their freedom. This would have been equally important, resulting in the blockade of potential support and a new supply of troops for Alaric, as had happened many times in past Gothic campaigns. Imagine how deep the panic of the Romans would be for them to promise freedom to their slaves. A culture and economy that was so entrenched in a system of slavery that they are in a position where they are forced to make drastic decisions such as this. 
Silica would be in the northern provinces of Raetia and Oricum for the duration of the winter, securing his newfound victory, but also prevented from moving his army south to confront the Visigoths by the snow-covered mountain passes. The Goths would quickly take smaller cities and would resupply themselves as the fall harvest had been recently put away for the winters all throughout the empire. Alaric then besieged his first larger city in the campaign at Aquileia. Modern-day Aquileia is a town of about 4,000 people, but back at Roman times, it was a city of 100,000 that served as a regional hub for commerce and security as it was situated just south of the Julian Alps that passes led to Italy and near the coast of the Adriatic. The Visigoths would lay siege to the city from December of 401 through the new year. Once again, the inability to effectively lay siege to large cities would inhibit the campaign of the Goths in Roman territory. Alaric would give up on Aquileia in early 402 and move west to put direct pressure on the imperial court before Stilicho could come through the snow-covered mountain passes and face him. The Visigoths marched across northern Italy and lay siege to Milan, where the western emperor and his court are based. Once again, the lack of siege equipment and experience means that there must be a long, drawn-out starvation of the city in order to force a capitulation. It is during the first few weeks of the siege, and the last days of February, that the snows would melt enough to allow Stilicho to come down out of the mountains and hurry towards Milan. The half-vandal general had to get to Milan in haste, because if the western emperor and his court got captured, the power base of Stilicho and the Romans would be in the hands of the Visigoths. So for preservation of the empire, and in himself in particular, he had to save Honorius, and that is exactly what happens. Stilicho breaks his army up into smaller columns and moves quickly from the mountains down into the plains of Milan and breaks through the siege into the de facto western Roman capital city. Alaric then realizes that the army of the Romans is coming to relieve the city and he decides to lift the siege and move his army to a better position before the rest of it comes and traps his encircling troops. He heads west to possibly invade Gaul. Back inside the city, Stilicho assesses the situation. He decides that Honorius and the imperial court are not safe in Milan, and therefore moves the capital Western Empire to the more defensive location of the city of Ravenna. The new capital is on the coast and can be supplied by the sea in a siege, but the real allure of the city is the fact that it is surrounded by marshes on the three other sides, making it very difficult to actually surround and lay siege to by enemy troops like the Visigoths. The move of the capital will make it much easier for the empire to defend, so by 402, Honorius and his court were in Ravenna. Stilicho could now focus on driving the Visigoths out of Italy. So back to our Visigoths. Alaric's plan appeared to be to enter Gaul from the southeast, south of the mountains, so he moved his troops across the Po River and then west to the city of Hasta, which is modern-day Asti in the west of northern Italy. Alaric lays siege to the city from early 402 to March of that year. In early March, they learned of the approach of the Roman army under Stilicho and broke yet another siege so that they can reposition for defense against this impending threat from the Romans. Alaric decides to encamp his people just outside the town of Palentia, or modern-day Polenzo. Stilicho had been chasing the Gothic forces for several weeks at this point and would have been eager to finally face the invaders. 
It all comes to a head in early April 402, as Stilicho and Alaric are both encamped outside Palintia by April 5th. For Alaric, the night of Saturday, April 5th, was probably a quiet one in his camp outside Palintia. The Arian Goths would have been preparing for observing Easter the next day, knowing that Stilicho, a devout Orthodox Christian, would certainly be doing the same thing in their camp just miles away. Still yet, Stilicho had proven time again in Thrace, in Illyricum, in Greece, to be a plodding, careful, and precise general who was not prone to taking chances with his men. He was still awaiting reinforcements to come in from Gaul in the near future, all giving the Goths peace of mind the night before Easter 402. But yet it is here, on April 6, Easter Sunday, that we see the Battle of Plentia. Stilicho, much against form, attacks the Goths in their camp and takes them by surprise. The sources say that Stilicho actually handed overall command to a general that was an Alan and a pagan named Saul because of his own feelings against fighting on the holiday. A non-Christian like Saul would have no qualms with fighting on Easter and apparently put most of his own people, the Alans, at the center of the Roman line, and it is here that they press the Goths the most. These are the Alans that Stilicho had just defeated in Raetia and made them Federati. As the Goths began to break from the slaughter, the Romans overran the camp and the baggage trains of their enemies. Years of plunder from various points of Italy and the Eastern Empire were recaptured by the legionaries, and many women, children, and slaves, including Alaric's own wife, were taken. Most of the slaves were Romans that were captured from various Gothic campaigns throughout the years. The Gothic cavalry, though, is able to make a counterattack and push the Romans back, killing Saul in the process. But before the day is done, Stilicho involves himself in the battle directly, now by taking back command and securing Roman lines against the Gothic counterattack. So much for keeping Easter holy, Stilicho, but Alaric still evacuates his people to the nearby mountains to regroup. There are a few details that we actually know about the battle itself, besides that the Romans sprung a surprise and that it was effective against the invaders. Considering that the infantry suffered heavy losses, but the cavalry were able to salvage an orderly withdrawal from the field with their counterattack, Alaric has still had to withdraw from the battle under the Roman army's pressure. This is one of the worst defeats of Alaric's long career as a military leader, and we are only about halfway through his tenure as the commander-in-chief of the Visigoths. With this outcome for Alaric, he is now in a much weaker position to negotiate a favorable treaty with Stilicho. As talks open between the two leaders, Alaric learns that he is not going to secure the appointment that he so long coveted, nor the safe lands for his people. Rome is simply offered to allow the Goths to return to Illyricum and out of the western half of the Roman Empire. This agreement is made as Alaric is holding a defensive position in the Apennine Mountains of Italy. We could easily say that Stilicho had Alaric trapped again, but let the Goth get away again for the fourth time now. Alaric, therefore, had no choice but to leave the Western Empire and try his luck back in the east. He began the weeks-long march back to the Julian Alps and back to Illyricum. Stilicho now, reinforced by troops from Gaul, shadowed the invaders the whole march back. After the Visigoths crossed the Po River in northeastern Italy, 
they stopped and camped outside the town of Verona. There are several reasons that they could have stopped, and none of them are really good in the Romans' eyes. Alaric could have stopped simply because his people were out of food and water. It appears that Silgo did not provide any supplies for the Goths, so theirs must have run out, and finding more would have been impossible without plundering their way out of Italy and incurring the wrath of the Roman army stalking them. Nor could they buy supplies since they lost their golden riches after the Battle of Plentia. Also, Alaric could have just thought that he needed to try to get a victory in order to secure a better position for his people, instead of going back to the Eastern Empire, who he knew they were not happy with. It is also hinted that Alaric may have been losing control politically within his people. If he could secure a better agreement by winning a battle or negotiating with Stilicho, he then could secure his position as the king of the Visigoths. Still yet, Stilicho could have forced a battle for the weakened Goths so as to affect a loss on them so severe that he could use it as a political point for himself. Whatever is the case, the outcome was severe. We don't know much about the Battle of Verona, but its results are significant. Sometime in the summer of 402, outside the city, the Alan infantry under the Romans were deployed effectively against the Goths again and forced them from the field. The Alans were supposedly at fault for not completely following Stilicho's battle plan and therefore missed an opportunity to capture the king of the Visigoths, although many of the Gothic nobility would be captured and kept for years. Alaric retreated to a nearby mountain and set up a defensive position that was quickly encircled and cut off by Stilicho. This is when we see starvation and thirst set in with the Goths and droves of them defect to the Roman side. Included in these defections are many cavalry, infantry, and key leaders. A man named Euphilus, who would become a magister militum under the Romans, and as far as we know, there was no relation to the man of the same name that converted many of the Tervingi to Christianity in the 4th century. If you're interested in revisiting that story, check out episode 10, Little Wolf. Another key defection was a man named Saurus. He and his brother Sigeric were rivals politically of Alaric's and had vied for power and opposed the king of Visigoth's decision time and time again. Saurus will be a key opponent of Alaric's under the employment of the Romans from henceforth. It is not exactly clear how Alaric gets out of this current predicament at the hands of Stilicho, but it must be true that the half-vandal Roman general allowed them to retreat safely out of Italy from their mountaintop position. It is stated by various sources that a treaty of some sort was agreed upon by the two sides. This would seem to have to be the case as Stilicho let the Goths leave Italy unmolested after Verona. Additionally, it seems that Fravada, now the Magister Militum in the east, does not attack Alaric upon his return to Illyricum, where clearly he would have been in a position to do so if there was a treaty not in place. This marks the fifth time that Stilicho would have Alaric cornered, but somehow allowed the Visigothic leader to escape. The loss of so many men in battle and to defections certainly lessened the power of the army that Alaric wielded. The Battle of Verona would be Alaric's worst defeat, and the defections of many from his ranks would double the effect. They would then go to the barbarian land next to Dalmatia, and Pannonia, probably close to the land in Illyricum that they had settled prior to this most recent rebellion, 
But it should be noted that Alaric no longer held title or employment under Rome. The sources seem to be fairly certain of that point. He would therefore, once again, be in a precarious situation, politically at his lowest point, both within his people and with Rome after the failed invasion of Italy. So we see Honorius and Stilicho in power in the west, Arcadius and Caesarius in power in the east, and our Visigoths are somewhere in Pannonia, Dalmatia, or Illyricum in the Eastern Empire. And that is where we will leave it be for the time. Next episode, we'll look at another invasion of Italy by the Goths. Some of the sources that I used for this week's episode include the Visigothic invasion of Italy in 401 by William Bayliss, Rome's Gothic Wars from the 3rd century to Alaric by Michael Kulikowski, Historia Nova by Zosimus, The Goths by Herwig Wolfram, Stilicho, The Vandal Who Saved Rome by Anne Hughes, which has done most of the heavy lifting for this episode, and then Generalissimos of the Western Empire by John O'Flynn, which did a decent amount of lifting for this episode also. If you like the show, please give a review on iTunes, Google Play, or the platform of your choice. Check out the History of the Barbarians Twitter accounts and Facebook pages for more information about our barbarians and some maps and images. A big thank you for listening, and I will see you next time.